Now I could do literally not 10x, like 100x more than I was able to do myself before. And I'm not worried at this point about losing my job. We now have a, a technology that can do what we ask it, but it requires us to actually know how to have that conversation. And that's a very human skill. It's very much a soft skill. It requires emotional intelligence. Everybody wants to feel the joy of being amplified by technology. Like I've never had a single person be like, whoa, that's not good. I have a Google alert that says AI gone wrong. It's similar to probably your show (laughs) that you have. Welcome to the Disrupted Workforce Podcast, where we focus on the intersection of the human experience, AI, and the future of work. Why? Because we are living through the most digital and disrupted workforce in history. Our mission is to help you prepare, navigate, and thrive. Thank you for caring about your future, for joining us on this journey, and for sharing these insights so we can all grow together. Stay connected by following us wherever you listen and subscribing to our YouTube channel. PDW fans, we are excited to share our amazing guest with you, Noel Russell. Noel is Microsoft's AI MVP, Accenture's global AI solutions lead, and the founder of the AI Leadership Institute. We love this conversation because it's an inspiring generative AI conversation, not the typical fear-mongering that we see everywhere else. And she's a diverse thought leader who is over the moon about the potential for this world-changing technology. Her brand is literally I Heart AI, and you see her in those shirts whenever she speaks. And we are thrilled to be helping Noelle launch her I Heart AI Challenge on Valentine's Day on school.com. Now, this episode is so good, we had to split it into two parts. In part one, we talk a lot about her journey to become an AI leader, how she gets 100x productivity gains while amplifying almost anything she does, why AI is a soft skill and not a hard skill, and how AI can help us create more time with our loved ones and family, and so, so much more. We are so grateful to have her on the show, and let's dive in. Noelle Russell, welcome to TDW. Thanks so much for having me. Super excited to be here. We're super excited to have you. So you have had an incredible career and your personal journey is remarkable. You're a diverse woman and you've broken barriers and overcome challenges to become a top speaker and thought leader in AI. Tell us about your origin story, your mindset, and how you're able to shatter all those limiting beliefs that may have crept in along the way. Yeah, I I actually, I probably would say I'm pretty lucky in the sense that I grew up, you know, in a house where my dad was a, like a Buddhist Christian kind of guy. Um, And so he introduced me to meditation very early. Little did I know how valuable that would be in my life. But I, I, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you're just naturally happy. I'm like, I don't know if I was born happy. But I definitely was introduced to the idea of happiness as a choice very early in my life. And so I've always been the one who's like, if I'm going to be, I have a motto that I say is like, um, be the most positive person in the room. And so I always like, when I walk into a room, I'm like, I choose like to be kind of a, a personified (laughs) happiness beacon, if you will. Um, but that being said, uh, my, my journey kind of started and I was also like at a very young age, I was introduced to science fiction. I've always been a huge fan of science fiction. My dad introduced me to, I mean, our first, the first book we read uh, or series of books we read together as a whole was the foundation series. And it's not for like children, by the way, <laughs> but it was 
Very good. I've read it a dozen times since then um, with him. But uh, but it I, I didn't realize it when I was reading it, but it definitely was planting seeds in, in things that I now realize I did very similar like career work driving towards outcomes that I envisioned as a kid of being able to have this symbiotic relationship with technology, being able to talk to it like they're a member of the family. And honestly, today in my own house, we have tons of you know technology that we can talk to that literally is like, a member of our family. It makes our announcements for dinner. It reminds someone of taking pills. <laughs> like it's extremely integrated into our, our lifestyle. Um, and all of that in my mind, like I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, that really did start when I was a kid and I was reading these stories. And, and I was one of those very imaginative kids that like I got lost in books. I was a nerd. I liked to read. I liked to be in libraries. And so, so it's maybe ironic, but certainly very fortuitous that I got to do a lot of the work, uh, in that same field that I ended up dreaming a lot of dreams as a child. That's fantastic. And you um, have carried that happiness forward in, in a way that you're giving it back now through all of your work. And it's infectious. In fact, when Alex and I met you at PodFest last year, we were experiencing that. We were like, this woman is beaming to talk about something that's a really tough conversation. So it, it's resonating. It feels good. Yeah, it's an incredibly exciting time. even with the dangers and the concerns, I still, I always tell people I'm rationally optimistic. And it's because I know the amazing good things that could happen with this technology while understanding the kind of guardrails I need to keep in place or remind executives to keep in place in order to do it safely. And that's a really good place to be, right? Like not to be guard, like not to be driven by fear, but to allow it to protect your enthusiasm and moderate your enthusiasm. And I think you know, if I was left to just be enthusiastic, it might be too much for people to take. <laughs> but I'm I'm tempered by wisdom of like what could go wrong, and I do a lot of planning around that. <laughs> it's good. Speaking of breaking through barriers and limiting beliefs, there are a lot of limiting beliefs out there about AI. You know, people are struggling with personal limiting beliefs, and there's organizational limiting beliefs too. And I'm going to throw a couple of them out from the personal side. I'm not great from, with tech. I'm not a coder. I don't really understand AI and how it works. But on an organizational side, there are leaders and people inside of organizations saying, hey, we're not Google. We're not super innovative. That's not our bag. You know, so there's this stuff getting in the way that's very human stuff. Um, how can people shift their mindset about that and lean in to generative AI? I think the biggest challenge I have found is a very maybe simple word, tinker, <laughs> like the ability and willingness to just play around with technology. I found it, at least in, initially, it was very generational. Like my dad is not going to press a button. He doesn't like know for certain what's going to happen as a result of that button being pressed. Like he won't just press it. And I am exactly the opposite, right? Like if I see a button and I can't tell what it does, I'm like immediately press it. It's hard for me not to press it actually. <laughs> and I feel like that's part of the world has to kind of transition from I need to know exactly what's going to happen and processes, standard operating procedures, like all of these things that we've trained ourselves to do to be very methodical in our approach. And again, it's not that we have to completely dismiss that, but we do have to shift our mindset to an opening for curiosity and to embrace, like there was a time in our lives when we were much younger, where we did things without knowing the exact outcome or consequences. And we learned by doing that. And I think that's why one of the things I, I always enjoy doing when I get in front of even executives and even executives in industries that 
they themselves have said the things that I just heard you say, right? Oh, well, we're not technologists. I, I often hear companies say we're laggards. Like we're the ones who always go last, almost as a badge of honor. And I'm like, mm. okay, sure. But today we have to think a little differently. So I would rather than tell them, rather than put up a slide presentation, I would be like, let's play a game. Let's get in front of a generative model and just ask some questions that you already know the answers to. And f- and what that, what ends up happening is, is that when I show versus tell, they start to get excited and they themselves start throwing out different ways for me to ask that question. And I'm like, this is all the new world is asking you to do is to think outside of what you would typically do and get excited and allow that momentum to drive new ways of thinking. And this AI will just help amplify those new ways of thinking. But most people won't even ask the first question. And that's, I think, the big you know pivot that I'm helping organizations make today. There are a lot of people that are worried about being disrupted or replaced by AI, right? And there's a reasonable concern here. It's going to have a lot of impact across industries, workflows, roles. You're seeing it. We're seeing it. There's this increasingly popular quote that you won't be replaced by AI, but you will be replaced by someone who uses AI. What's your take and how do you approach this at work with your audiences and with your clients? I mean, I have a very personal experience with this because one of the things I struggled with over the last five years, I'm, you know, I like creating content. I like, you know, sharing things about myself. I like, you know, telling people, oh my gosh, I was just in the city and I I like creating lots of different slices and ways for people to engage with me. But doing that work as a solopreneur or as a single person doing like, I don't have time. And so over the last five years, I've had like diminishing returns. I could not get enough content out there to really make a difference. And um, one thing I saw almost immediately with this technology was that as this person who I have a full-time job, I have a family, I have a brand I'm trying to build, I'm trying to educate a community on AI, I had very little time. And in, in, in this moment, I actually was able to use a generative tool. Now, granted, I use ChatGPT. I use the, you know, the, the pro version. So I pay for it. But when I was able to give it custom instructions, when I was able to custom train it on my voice and how I talk and what I care about on my core values and how I want it to respond, I spent a lot of time training this model on who is Noel. Now I could do literally not 10x, like a hundred X more than I was able to do myself before. And I'm not, worried at this point about losing my job or like losing certain tasks that I do every day going away, I was able to amplify, grow, build a larger funnel, attract more audience members in different diverse backgrounds and different educational backgrounds. I could talk to people like they were in second grade or talk to them like they're academics. Like All of these things became accessible to me. And I find a lot of people when they first approach this technology, they might even ask it a question and it doesn't respond very well. It doesn't sound like them at all. And they don't realize that just this tiny little pivot to invest in technology, and this is true across the board, when you invest in technology and you train it, you make it an expert on you, how you think, whether that's you individually or you as a business, it now gets exponentially better at doing things that you can only, like your scale is capped at how many humans you currently have, how fast they can work, And this becomes an amplifier for that. So I absolutely think everybody wants to feel the joy of being amplified by technology. Like everybody, I've never had a single person be like, whoa, that's not good. Like everyone says, well, that's not terrible. Like they actually are surprised at how good it is. And I think people, as they start to use it, will find um, that it 
it, it's, it's exciting to be able to achieve your potential um, in ways that was really hard to do even just a year ago. Yeah, it's so interesting because people really are, a lot of folks are really prevented from diving in because of this fear-based mindset. They just don't want to put a toe in the water and they don't understand, hey, this is going to enhance your human superpowers and give you new superpowers and make more time for you for what matters most. Exactly. And, like, and that and story Bill Gates is not being very told similarly. Yeah, he said the same thing. He's like, what happens in a world where we actually have time to sit down with our families for dinner, where we actually don't need to be on the phone all the time? Like we went through this really, I think, tough part of, you know, when COVID happened, where we were on 24-7. Like we were on our computer, connected to our phone. There was no separation between work and life. And I think this technology has come at such an, a critical time where we as humans need to build that separation. And now we're going to have literally the ability to amplify tasks that we no longer have to do. So that option is there. Now, the danger is having leadership that fill that time with more stuff, oh. <laughs> right? Or being a workaholic, right? Or an yeah. individual who fills that time with more stuff. But the reality is, is that we're, and Bill Gates said it best in one of his notes on LinkedIn. He was like, we're in a time where if you have the emotional intelligence and like the self-awareness, that you can actually create space where space was not possible before and still achieve not just the same outcomes, but better outcomes. And mm -hmm. that emotional intelligence of being like, now I'm going to take this time for me. I'm going to, you know, it's going to take the same amount of time to do the work because I'm going to take time to think now where before I was yeah. just go, 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 build, build, build. And I think that's going to be a hard transition for most because we're going to feel like, wait, I don't want to, you know, if I'm not growing, I'm dying, right? If I'm not building, mm. I'm, you know, decaying. And, and I think that mindset really has to shift a little bit in a world where AI can complement our, our activities. You are incredibly productive. Are you seeing that in your own life? Are you seeing that you're getting some breathing room in spite of all the things that you're doing, which, I mean, your, your output yeah. is prolific. <laughs> So I definitely see the breathing room, um, but I am one of those people every morning, my husband and I sit, we're big planners. So we plan our morning out every morning. And I, I believe in not having any white space on my calendar. And that doesn't mean it's filled with a meeting or filled with an activity. Um, but I have now when I go through, I'm like, oh, you know, I used to schedule 30 minutes to put a post together. Now I can put five posts in that 30 minutes. So imagine these five blocks or six blocks that I used to have are now condensed into a single block. So now, either, again, I can choose to do more. And some days I will tell you, I always say I don't achieve work-life balance. <laughs> I'm more a harmony girl because it will be a virtuous cycle. I might spend all day Sunday building content, but now I can build out content. I mean, I just use Bolt Create in Canva with the help of generative AI. And I was able to create 25 videos in a half an hour period, all with different backgrounds, different texts. Like I was like, 25 videos. And then I publish them into my scheduling, you know, my content planner that will now auto schedule them. So people always ask me, oh my gosh, how are you everywhere all the time? It seems like you're posting from different cities all the time. And I'm like, well, technically <laughs> I did that last, you know, last week or last month. And I'm, this is just the scheduled post that's happening. And so, yeah, I hundred percent, I see these, these windows of opportunity to now condense the amount of time I spend building content um, in one area. But also, I mean, I do the same thing in my job, writing PowerPoint presentations. All these times take less. What I've done though, is I still put the block in my calendar because I want to be able to reserve that time for thinking. And I'll just put, 
thinking time or break or walk outside. I've never used to walk outside in the middle of the day ever. Mm. And that's sad, sad truth. I'm being very vulnerable with everybody. But now I keep those blocks that I've now saved. And I'm like, you can go outside now, like just spend 15 minutes. And I'm hearing all this benefit of, you know, taking your shoes off and walking in the grass and grounding yourself in the earth. And, and it works for me. Like it provides me clarity. So when I come back, I can work even more effectively. And I think the other benefit is the creative like side of what I do. Like in the past, I would just kind of regurgitate whatever I was doing that week. Now I get all these incredible ideas uh, because I have time to let, you know, let my mind just wander. Uh, and I think you'll hear some, you know, we'll talk about some of these ideas uh, later in the show, but it's, it's just fascinating what happens to the human brain when you give it space to think. And I don't think many yeah. of us have had that opportunity. And I do think it's something that employers need to realize the benefit of. Some have Google, for example, and Facebook, Git and Meta give their employees this time. But everyone else is going to realize like this type of AI is going to now make it easy. Like you're not going to be hurt by this. Um, but will companies do it? I think a 1984 mindset of uh, workforce management is going to say, oh, you gained 40 hours this week. <laughs> like, I think we should fill that with pipeline development yeah. or more contacts or more calls. Yeah. And that's going to take a certain type of leader. Yeah. I want to I want to nerd out on this just for one more second because I think people are going to be fascinated by how is Noelle Russell using AI in her personal and work life. Are there any other tools that are you that are your go tos? Is it is it Chat GPT? Is it Claude? What are the other tools that you're using? Have you created a personal GPT when you were talking about yes. you know the 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 the, the, the uh, you know teaching AI more about you to interact with you in a more authentic way. Tell us just a little bit more so our audience can get all this value from oh, you. Oh, goodness. Yeah, so exciting. So the first thing I use, I do use uh, ChatGPT uh, Pro version. So I upgraded and pay the monthly subscription. Um, I use that every day. I have it as a, a shortcut on the homepage of my cell phone. Like, so every, I mean, really almost, I don't know, dozens of times a day I use it. Uh, I would never just write something without being like, so the other day I was, I'm coming up with, I'm writing a new book and I, I already had the idea for the title. I've known the title for a long time. And then I went to ChatGPT and I was like, Hey, can you look at the last, you know, 15 bestsellers in this technology space with, you know, in alignment with the category I'm going to be in and would take my title and make it sound like the other stuff that's already sold and become a bestseller. And it tweaked it just a little bit. And I was like, okay, that's not terrible. Because I have always said this to people, I'm not the namer of things. Like that's not my core skill. I don't really care that much about it. Um, but this name I got, I was like, all right, that's pretty good. <laughs> so that's going to be, I mean, it's one of four or five that I'm giving the publisher as ideas, but, but it, it, it didn't, I didn't just say create me random names, right? I said, I already have a name and I already have an idea of what I want to do with it. Help me get there. And again, that's the definition of amplification. Help me do more with what I already have. And that's where I've seen the biggest. So, so ChatGPT Enterprise or, or Pro, 100%. Um, my whole family uses it. So we actually have a team edition. <laughs> um, that being awesome. said, we also, uh, I use Poe.com um, because Poe aggregates. I love the features of this tool because it aggregates a bunch of models together. And the benefit of that is that let's say I get an answer from ChatGPT and I'm just like, well, what happens if I ask Claude or I ask an anthropic model or ask an open source model. And I just want to see some diversity of how these models are reacting. It's very exciting for the researcher in me. Um, so I use Poe and Poe also embeds more than just one model. ChatGPT, you're stuck with what the model they give you. 
Um, with Poe, you can choose, like, maybe I want to add a large PDF of content that I wrote two months ago or two years ago. And I want to use that as context. Well, you know, on, on ChatGPT, there's limits to how much content you can feed it at any given time. But when you move over to Poe, there's, you know, a 32K version, there's, you know, a 64, I think, or 124, I can't remember, but there's additional options to get what you need done. And then to round out the last thing I did actually create on character.ai, which was one of my first, I always go to my kids and I'm like, what AI are you using right now? And it was mm. one of the first tools that my kids told me they were using, um, character.ai. And I was like, what is this? It now actually is integrated into Amazon Alexa, which is another one of my favorite AI tools. We use it also every day. Um, and you've built hundreds of applications on Amazon Alexa, yes, by the way, yes, for folks yes. listening. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Hundreds. And, and many of them are still like, I get a couple million users for a handful of these skills like a couple million users still, I can't believe it that people are still using it, but I'm glad, I'm glad to hear it. Um, But in, in character.ai, I created nearly Noel and I've actually created a bunch of bots, but that's my favorite. And I've had um, my friends, or no, I shouldn't say that, my children, their friends, like other 11th graders, other seventh graders have gone to my kid, gone to my kids and said, Hey, I talked to your mom's bot and asked them a question. And here's what they said. And they would send me a picture of it. And I'm like, that's so awesome because that is exactly what I would have said to you if you asked me. And it's about responsible AI and inclusive engineering and how to survive as a diverse voice in tech. And it's just fun because I get to, I, I would not ever be like, they're all on these custom discords and doing all this stuff. I'm like, I'm not going to be there as a human, but it's awesome that what I think and how I think and the type of questions I would answer and how I would answer them is accessible now to this whole new demographic of people. Um, so, so creating new vehicles and new modalities for people to engage with the way that I think, I think is fascinating. I just wish more people would do it because I'm always like, man, if I could get in your brain and ask you questions, but you don't, may not have time to ask, to answer those, but I could talk to your bot. And that's what I think the, the interesting part of the chat GPT store is giving us the opportunity to do mm-hmm. just that, which is kind of exciting. Yeah. That's you awesome. Uh, I want a Nate bot. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Noel, you said something that put me on stop. And we were talking recently, and you called generative AI a soft skill. And no, I'm not kidding. My brain went, I don't think she can say that. Is that right? How is she saying that? What does that mean? My brain was like caught in, in this <laughs> battle because tech has always been called a hard skill, right? It's this often physical thing or software thing. It's very technical. And now you throw generative AI in or AI as a larger bucket and it's sophisticated. It's rare. It's complex and talent is scarce, right? So when you said that to me, I was like, hang on, we have to talk about that. Tell me more about your thinking behind generative (laughs) AI is a soft skill. So one of the things that I have done um, is I've had the, I don't know, I guess, luxury or benefit of being able to travel all over the world and talk to executives. And that's one of the new things about AI now, as opposed to 10 years ago when I was on the Alexa team. One of the things now is that business is often driving the conversation on how do we use this stuff? Like the business executives, uh, leaders are realizing, hey, there's value here. And they're the ones driving the development, driving the implementation which is different than before where it was kind of tech and research saying you should use this and business being like, I don't know what that's for. So now business is like, hey, I could just ask a question and this tech can answer it for me. I love that. And so so now I'm I'm happily in this room where people are excited to use AI. 
And I realized that the interface for using this AI, of course, is their voice. And what I instantly uncovered was that we don't have really good experience, uh, unless you're good at this, which there are a few of us, but most of us are not great at having clarity and confidence in talking to a, not only talking to a robot, but even just talking to each other, talking about what our core values are, talking about what's important to us, how are we going to measure success? Like many times we spend days in workshops trying to figure this out for companies, for teams, for ourselves. Um, and so we now have a, a technology that can do what we ask it, but it requires us to actually know how to have that conversation. And that's a very human skill. It's very much a soft skill. It requires emotional intelligence. It requires you to have self-awareness of what you actually want in order to clearly and confidently say it to a machine. And I'm, I'm, maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but it often is a gap before we can even get started is to help organizations understand how to just clarify their own desires and get it into a machine to help it um, amplify those results. I want to talk about speed. Generative AI has 200 million monthly active users. It's advancing at a rate of 10x a year. And that means ChatGPT is going to be about 100 times smarter in two years. (laughs) I think that's pretty mind-blowing for all of us. How do we think about the speed that this technology is advancing? I think a lot of people um, in my world, the AI ethicists, are a little bit concerned about speed. And, and it's interesting because there was this moment where, I don't know if you remember, like last year, where a bunch of like very important people, Elon Musk and, you know, people like him got together and were like, we're going to sign this petition and we're going to mm. try and halt the progression of AI. And I remember that there weren't a bunch of ethicists involved in that conversation. Like it was actually more technologists. We then, of course, found out that Elon Musk was like building his own side hustle thing and wanted people to stop so he could go fast and whatever. (laughs) But the reality was, is that ethicists never really said, we want you to stop. But there is a difference that happens to a process when you ask more questions, when you become more intentional, when you set a bit of mindful intention over the work that you're trying to do. And I think that is the direction or the change that we're starting to see is we don't necessarily want, um, what, what was it? Mark Zuckerberg said it was something like move fast and break things. Like mm. we're not really in a world where move fast and break things serves people. We weren't either really, but now when we move fast and break things with AI, breaking things means not giving credit to a demographic of people or putting the wrong people in jail. Like there is significant consequences to breaking things with AI. And so now we're like move, you know, move fast but be intentional, set intentional, you know, guardrails around how you're going to, and you can move as fast as you want if you have seatbelts on, right? If you like planes move extremely fast, but we don't do it without a special aircraft <laughs> to protect us. Um, so there's, there's a lot of processes that need to go into building at speed. You, and anyone who's thinking about doing this, I actually think it's, it's okay that we're moving fast, but that intentionality is critical. And I love like Timnit Gebru. Um, uh, uh, Ruha Benjamin, Elizabeth Adams, these are all just some of the ethicists that have come out to say, like, you don't have to stop. Just think, <laughs> like be intentional yeah. about the, the technology you're building. And so everything that I do, I always tell people, like, you're not going to take a responsible AI class. Um, you're not going to stay, you know, follow a checklist and stamp it at the end. 
Like this is a philosophy that needs to be embedded in every stage of any project you do that involves AI. And let's face it, every project will probably have AI somewhere in it and Mm -hmm. from now on, right? So how do you just make sure that you do that safely and responsibly? And just thinking about it changes the way the outcome, as opposed to just blindly being like, oh my, I mean, we see, I have a Google alert that says AI gone wrong. It's similar to probably your show. (laughs) <laughs> that you have, but AI gone wrong. And, and every day there's examples of reputable companies making bad choices in production AI. And I think yep. that is a function of clarity over velocity, right? Like they'd rather be fast than be right. And that I think is. Yeah. I'm really glad you went here. This is absolutely something we wanted to talk with you about, um, you know, ethical AI, responsible development of AI. Um, we love this quote last year, a uh, Democratic representative from California, Anna Eshoo, said that regulating AI is like getting socks on an octopus. And, you know, that, that resonated deeply. And you mentioned the petition that was signed. Obviously, there have been subsequent meetings in Washington. Europe seems to be leading the way with regulation. A lot of you know, experts, CEOs, uh, and leaders have shared their concerns. And then most recently, I saw that just this past week, that the FTC is now investigating a lot of big companies for their partnerships with a variety of AI companies. So, you know, we all understand AI is this profound technology. It's changing work purpose and life on this planet. And it's really amazing. We need to fasten our seatbelts, as you said. We need to slow down. Are there other, besides asking the right questions and slowing down, are there other things that come to mind from your vantage point, from your expert vantage point on how we put people and humanity first? Yeah, I think the good news is, is that this isn't new. So there's a lot of existing research out there, but in lieu of asking you to go pull up papers and read, which nobody really does these days, there's an app for that though. So you could feed that into GPT and have it summarized, but there are great papers on this. However, what we're starting to see is like um, the city of Phoenix the city of uh, Bellevue, like all these cities and then states and now even our own federal government, the Biden-Harris administration released an executive order. We've got lots of really good guidelines. Um, Even the State Department released a AI architecture blueprint to understand what they're doing. And what I always try to do is look at people who have way harder constraints than I do, like regulated industry, federal government, like they're going to do things around security, governance that maybe I don't choose to do, but knowing what they've done creates a great starting point for me to think about this. So you don't have to, as an organization or even as an individual going into the space, you don't have to write this from scratch. You don't have to think in your mind, how do I create a governed you know, AI system? How do I create a system that serves everyone? The government is a great example of people who intend to serve everyone. And no matter where you sit on the political boundaries, like the system itself, and this is not just in the US, like in EU, in Canada, the system itself requires us to think differently because all demographics are impacted. and All like it, all of these different lenses are required. And I think looking at like the executive order, I recently just printed, oh, I printed the executive order. It was very long. And I also uh, printed out the EU, I know printed, right? People are going to be like... <laughs> Like, know, like AI and in the cloud, but I love it. I, I, I could pull up in my office drawer and show you. I've like I have all these post-it tabs. I love like post-its and highlighting. 
But uh, the EU uh, put to, put out the um, the AI Act uh, last year, and it's just incredibly valuable information, right? Like because you don't have to do all of it, but it's a great understanding of all this work that hundreds of people contributed to make that document possible that you can now use as a foundation. I often use it with consulting companies, especially in finance and healthcare, that have very similar kind of high compliance requirements. Um, but if you're not in one of those regulated industries, building to that compliance makes you like that much better than your peers. So those mm-hmm. are the types of things I do. I look around and say, who is doing this in a higher regulated world than I am? And what are they doing? And AI regulation isn't necessarily there yet, but there's plenty of regulation that boxes in how AI can be used to get outcomes. And so when you start to look at some of these documents, you'll realize there's actually a lot of SEC and FTC and all these different types of organizations that have compliance around how do you render services in the market? And AI has to play in those boxes because mm-hmm. even if you're using AI, it doesn't get you out of, you know, it's not a get out of jail free card for doing, you know, anything you want. Like you still have to operate in our societal boundaries. And so seeing how organizations have done that is super helpful. So just those are like my, my secret sauce, right? Of how I come up with some of the patterns and blueprints. Like I use existing structures that had hundreds of people working on it as a foundation for what I might do in retail or in consumer product goods or in even the transportation industry. Mm. I want to do one follow-up on this. You said something earlier. So Alex just referenced speed. And then you said something earlier about this kind of hustle culture is going to bump up against AI in a very interesting way. And here's my thought is Alex and I often say, you can't out-hustle AI. It's the, it, it just doesn't work. AI is this unbelievable um, innovative technology that learns at scale. You know, in the ChatGPT example, nearly 200 million users are on this thing. And it's getting smarter by the second, by the millisecond. So you can't out-hustle this thing. But now that we've said that, here's this thoughtful question for leaders and professionals is, how do you start to think differently about keeping up with this? We've talked about using it with your strengths, but it's moving so fast. And we've been in this hustle culture mindset that has told us in the United States for decades that work nights and weekends, strap technology all over you, be available all the time. Like it's kind of ridiculous, but now we're in this changing moment where maybe we don't have to do those things anymore. So how do we keep up with AI? I think one of the things um, that I personally do is try to make sure, and I am, of course, I am on the bleeding edge pioneer. Uh, I always say like pioneers are the ones like face down in the dirt with arrows in their back. <laughs> so I'm in the dirt <laughs> all the time where I'm like, well, that wasn't a great investment. Um, <laughs> uh, so I think there's this opportunity, right? When we're we're working with this technology, you do have to pick your lane, so to speak, right? It's very difficult and almost mean to your brain to say you have to be a jack of all AI types of technologies. I have very good friends that are very focused on computer vision and what AI is doing in the world of machines that can see things, looking at documents even, um, like OCR and you know object detection. Super fascinating. Not my world. <laughs> I don't... I mean, I built a computer vision model. It was super fun. But... Um, but that's not my expertise. 
Um, there's other people that really like natural language. Like I definitely lean into the, because of Alexa, I lean into the natural language side. How do we use conversation to connect to technology? But there's so many other areas that AI is used. One area is just forms recognition alone, document intelligence. You know, I walk into dentist offices and they have these like stacks of paper mm-hmm. <laughs> and folders lined up. Like, you know, we're, we're, we're moving in the direction of digitization, but many organizations, many industries aren't there yet. So as you as a professional start to navigate what you're going to do and how you're going to do it, like, what do you, what is your experience right now? Like my experience very much because of the last 10 years, it was all about building voice applications. It was natural for me to kind of move in the direction of like, how do I talk more about evolving conversational AI type of application? So I work a lot in contact center, for example, because that's a lot of talking. And I feel like this AI is really good there. However, um, many, I mean, you could be anywhere. Like I was just talking to a bunch of uh, a, a farming conglomerate, a conglomerate of of farmers that live in the middle of the United States that own all of the dairy farms all, you know, all over the country, they're thinking very differently about how this technology is going to be used. So I'm not asking them to keep up with all the language models. I'm actually Mm -hmm. asking them to get very clear on what can this technology do for you? Be use case driven and then understand those use cases. And it's what the best consulting firms do as well. Accenture, PwC, right? Like their job is to have people who not know the tech. We actually presume people can learn the tech. We need you to know the problem and the business outcome that you can drive. What needle can you move? More importantly, what needle should you move when you're trying mm-hmm. to use technology as an outcome? And, and those are much harder questions to solve for. But I also think it, it, it leads us back to that, like, you know, AI is not going to take your job because AI doesn't understand the nuances of these deep domain expert questions. Someone who uses AI to answer that same question is going to do it better every single time than you who's like, wait, let me go and look up the, you know, or, or worse that you're limited only to the things that you learned in the last 20 years when an AI system has the benefit of millions of people who have learned those skills. So that's, you know, hundreds of millions, billions of man hours that it gets to access. Like it's just not a fair fight. And so. Don't make that the competition, right? Like Mm. you want to instead think about what domain problems am I uniquely qualified to help a model understand and be amplified to solve? Because that's where I think all the success I've seen, um, both professionally and as an industry, is when we lean into a problem we know we can solve and amplify that solution with AI, because now I can generate more revenue for a company. I can create more leads. I can close those leads. I can cross-sell and upsell more effectively. All those things create more prosperity for a company. And when you put me and AI to solve those problems versus someone who is just trying to do it the old-fashioned way, and I say that kind of in jest, like the way they did it last year, it will pale in comparison. I always say like either you're a Netflix or a Blockbuster. And that's like Mm. Blockbuster. (laughs) Like you're going to... Be on a similar path of Blockbuster, Kodak, like these amazing brands who just didn't get it in the right time. I want to stick with this notion of speed and I want to invite you, Noel, to put your futurist hat on for just a second. So AI is moving faster than we can possibly imagine and quantum computing is not far behind, right? So define this. Uh, so to define this for our listeners, quantum computing is a multidisciplinary field comprising aspects of computer science, physics, mathematics, leveraging quantum mechanics to solve complex problems. And if you don't understand that, all you need to know is that Microsoft, IBM, and Google have all said that quantum computing is closer <laughs> to passing 
critical calculation reliability and practicality milestone. So I'm sure you definitely understood that sentence if you didn't understand the one before. So how soon should we expect AI and quantum to collaborate? What does that future look like? Take us, give us your crystal ball here. Yeah, I mean, here's the, the good news is that we're collaborating already. So I've been on many panels where I am sitting right next to uh, different partners that are building quantum solutions. To your point, um, they're not passing those yet, but the trajectory is very strong. Like they're not passing. The same thing happened 10 years ago and maybe even 15 years ago in AI when we were just hitting human parity goals. It didn't mean that the tech was broken. It just meant we hadn't hit that goal yet. And then we hit it and obviously look what happened. And we, you are much better off if you were involved in the technology before, right? Because you have this whole landing zone of what is this? How do I use it? What's it useful for? Now, quantum mm-hmm. is not like chat GPT in the sense that it's going to be accessible and interesting to everyone. There are only certain types of problems that quantum is good at. And the reason why quantum and AI work so well together is that it's AI problems that it's really good at. And usually it's things that are very highly complex algorithms, multiple algorithms that work together that are often going to be accelerated. So if you look at all the work that's been done in research around, you know, just cancer research, um, protein and amino acid research, like diabetes research, this type of stuff to run simulations on what happens when you change molecules takes, it's a incredible, it's not infinite, but it's an incredibly large amount of tests that you have to do. And you have to run simulations for long periods of time. But that period of time is dictated by the hardware that we have to run this kind of test. So not every problem is going to need a quantum computer to run, but problems that are extremely important to humanity. How do people live longer? How do we avoid disease? How do we prevent disease? How do we change disease in a human body once it's developed? Like those big, huge, very difficult problems to solve right now are projected to take 100 years, 150 years to solve, we can now, depending on how this accelerates, right, we can solve those problems in fractions of that time. So it's an extremely important time, but don't, you know, for those of you already being like, oh my gosh, I first I have to learn AI and now I have to learn quantum. Quantum is awesome and cool because of the use cases it will solve. And it, for those of us who care about humanity, and I presume if you're listening, you probably do. Um, <laughs> for those of us who care, we, you might find it motivating not to use that technology to solve a problem you have, but just to know that this technology is being used. It's one thing that motivates me every day. I solve a lot of like rudimentary business application problems with AI. My clients are like, fix my back office, reduce my email, reduce my total time of conversation in a call center. Like these are not life-changing things that I'm working on. (laughs) Maybe Mm -hmm. life-changing to someone. But when I, when I on the weekend, I'm like, looking at projects that are being worked on amino acid and protein folding projects that are being worked on in quantum at IBM. I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. I, I want to be part of this evolution. Um, and I, I feel like all of this technology is moving in that direction. So it helps energize me to keep learning more. Um, so yeah, I always encourage people. And just so you know, IBM does have a developer playground. You can go and play around with quantum. You can, there's a bunch of tutorials you can do. Uh, but like I said, I don't want you to get too intimidated by it. It's fun to go play around and see what's possible, but it's for the hardest problems that we have. And most of us listening are going to be helping companies, helping ourselves with much less difficult problems that won't require quantum computing to solve. So I, I say like, 
use it as an exciting moment to learn about something cool that will change the world. And if I'm always like, if I can change the world, I want to be part of it. Um, and if nothing else, you can just be an advocate for the work that's happening there. Uh, but some of you will be inspired to go get your PhD <laughs> and, and join the workforce in that way. Noelle, you are changing the world. We have chills in this conversation, and it's amazing to get your bird's eye view of where we're going in the future and then ground us in where we are now and remind us all, invite us all to be human and to not be afraid and to be the most positive people in the room. And we can't wait for our audience to hear part two of this interview. Thank you for joining us on this journey. In a world where attention is scarce and content is abundant, it means a lot. To learn more about this episode, go to disruptedwork.com forward slash podcast to find show notes, guest details, and connect with us. The best way you can support the show is to follow us wherever you listen and subscribe to our YouTube channel. To help others in the future of work, spread the word by rating and reviewing the podcast and sharing your favorite episodes with those you care about. Remember, disruption is a gift. Thank you.